I started putting things together like, wait a second, this is what I want to do. This makes sense. And I remember watching SportsCenter that night and going to bed saying, I want to be the, the first Indian American on SportsCenter. You're listening to Philly Who, the podcast that tells the stories of the doers, thinkers, and performers of Philadelphia. My name is Kevin Schmidlin, and today is the story of a Philly sports fan from Phoenixville. His dream was to become the first Indian American ever to anchor ESPN's flagship newscast, SportsCenter. The story of SportsCenter anchor Kevin Nagandi is now on Philly Who. So if you're a sports fan in the USA, odds are that you've heard of or at least seen Kevin Nagandi on a TV or phone screen. That's because for the last 12 years, he's been an anchor of SportsCenter, which for almost half a decade has been the most well-known sports news program in the country. These days, he hosts SportsCenter every weekday at 6 p.m., and he's nationally known for being an outspoken Philly sports fan. But His tie to Philly is much deeper than his love of the Eagles, Sixers, Flyers, Phillies, and Temple, Goals. Now, Kevin Gandhi's Philly story runs so deep that it actually begins before he was born, when his father immigrated to the U.S. from India. So my dad came to um, America with less than $5 in his pocket. He lived in a YMCA outside Harrisburg. My dad's work ethic was nonstop. He was working six, seven days a week. And then uh, on the other side, my mom, when she came here, she had to get her GED. And early in my uh, childhood, I remember going to college with her at night. She went to night school. She wanted to become a nurse. So I was in the back uh, doing my homework while she was doing her classwork. And then we would go to the library together. So I learned two things, uh, you know, watching my dad nonstop every day and then watching my mom dream for somebody that didn't have any type of education to come here to get her GED, to get a degree in nursing, to get multiple other degrees. And you're just sitting there and you're like, well, I've done nothing. I've got to keep on going. Uh, It influenced me. And it it is the drive and the fuel for me every single day. Like I I don't think twice about it. It's just anytime somebody says congratulations on your hard work, uh, I look back and I I really feel like I've done nothing. I'm just following the footsteps on what what I feel is normal. Right. It's just baseline, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Kevin was born in West Philadelphia, but he wasn't raised there. Before he was old enough to remember anything, the Nagandis moved to the suburb of Phoenixville. Phoenixville was a quiet town, a steel town, not a lot of Indians, but it was a town that, that was perfect, I think, for, for me to grow up. Uh, it was perfect for my family to kind of put their roots there, and, and my family still lives there. My mom still lives there. My brother still lives in that town. No matter what, that'll always be my home. Right. So I, I read, is it correct that originally what you wanted to be when you grew up was an architect? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. can you tell me how that changed? <laughs> yeah. So uh, it was like a, a George Costanza moment. I w- always <laughs> wanted to be an architect. So I, I, I could draw and I loved art. I remember as a 14-year-old kid, the guidance counselor su- suggested that if you want to be an architect and draw buildings, you should take this building construction class. I absolutely hated the class because (laughs) I was like, wait a second, I I have to 
worry about plumbing and electrical. I just want to draw buildings, man. Like <laughs> I, like these fancy designs. I don't want to worry about all the inside guts of a building and why right. this building won't stand despite how great it looks. I remember I was like, I've got a whole year now to go through this class and I want nothing to do with it. This is not what I, I want to do. And I, I've always felt at a young age that uh, if I wanted to choose a profession, I better love it. Yeah. I came from a family of accountants, a family of medical people. My mom wanted me to be a lawyer. I specifically said to all of them that I, I better be happy yeah. every single day, especially if I'm going to spend eight to 10 hours a day doing something. What did they say when you said that? They always thought that, you know, my mom was insistent that that was going to be a lawyer because she's like, you yeah. can argue, you can debate, you can discuss. I would always get in these conversations in the house where I never did anything wrong. Even though I knew I did something wrong, I would state the case on why I, I didn't. Very similar to my oldest son right now. Yeah. And she was like, this is what you're going to be. Like, I, I know it for a fact. And honestly, like, there were some times where I started looking at the LSAT. So at what point were you going for it? Were you like, I'm going to college for this? Like, I want to make a play at this career. Was it Was it early on, like... You know, in your early teens, or was it sort of later? The year that I decided I wasn't going to become an architect, I was 14. I remember watching a, a college basketball game. It was in the living room. It was the spring. It was a really sunny day in the living room. And I was watching a college basketball game, and this basketball player went to the free throw line. They had those little profile things that pop up on the screen, a graphic, and they showed right. his major and the the sportscaster or the play-by-play -play guy with the analyst started having a conversation. The play-by-play -play guy was like, you know, he wants to do what we're doing. He wants one of our jobs. And I remember at that moment I paused and I was like, what, what are they saying? And they were like, yeah, he's majoring in communications and he wants to do what we're doing. And at that moment I started putting things together like, wait a second, you can actually do this. You can actually go to school for this. You can get paid for this. You can travel this is, this is the dream. This is what I want to do. This makes sense. And I remember watching SportsCenter that night and going to bed saying, I want to be the, the first Indian American on SportsCenter. Wow. I like at 14. Right then and there. Right then and there. I was a kid that would read Sports Illustrated going to bed every night and I would read the feature pieces and I would read these stories about guys that had these ridiculous dreams and it came true and, and what they had to go through. And to me, it just made perfect sense that I could do this. I'm going to do it. And nothing was going to get in the way. And now at 14, we're invincible, right? Uh, right we believe anything can happen if we put our mind to it. And, and I had that conviction that stayed with me. And, and honestly, no one believed me. Like, they, they were like, ah, yeah, whatever, yeah. whatever. Yeah, this, uh, this is what we all want to do, right? Yeah. I stayed with it, you know, I stayed consistent with it and I believed in it and going into college, I think my parents were surprised when I was like, yep, yeah, let's look at communication schools and then the rest is history. So you and I are both outspoken Temple Owls, but not a lot of folks know that I, you started at Syracuse, is that right? Yeah, my journey is so, so different and I tell people that it, there's no A to B, get you to C, that get you to D. You could have a lot of different steps and take giant leaps and then fall backwards. And yeah. for me, I always thought that the school would make me. So I originally thought that I had to go to Syracuse 
and be the next Bob Costas. And I applied to nine schools, and not one of them was Temple. My mom was insistent, try Temple, try Temple. It's a great communication school. My brother was going to, to Temple at the time as well, and she was like, just think about it. And I always thought... I'm getting far away from this area. I'm going to go to a power school that has an amazing program. I want to watch football in the dome. I want to go to the basketball games. And it was down to Syracuse and USC. USC has an outstanding journalism program, communications program. And I chose Syracuse because I knew I wasn't going to study at USC because I was going to be at the beach every day. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out, Kevin, I didn't study at Syracuse either. <laughs> Uh, it was terrible. I just remember how cold it was, how much snow we would get. And, and I wasn't getting any opportunity and there was no way, uh, I was going to stay four years to just sit there and, and wait for my turn. Yeah. And I remember a couple months in, I was debating on transferring out because I was, I felt like I was wasting my parents' money. Syracuse wasn't cheap. And my mom was like, think about temple. And she was like, it's in Philadelphia. You'll have access to all the things that are around. And I started to look at, you know, my reason to go to Syracuse. And I said, the school doesn't make you. It's what you do with the school. And I kept on saying, the school doesn't make you. It's what you do with the school. And Temple was was the perfect school for me. And, and I always say this, Kevin, it was the greatest decision I ever made in my career because immediately when I transferred into Temple, I was in the fourth biggest market. I had so many internship options, but also, you know, the TV station, the college uh, radio station, the newspaper, all that at my fingertips if I wanted it. It was up to me. It wasn't up to the school to make the difference. And uh, I got involved really early on at Temple. You had five internships by the time you graduated. Yeah. That is so much. <laughs> you, you, and you're only supposed to have two. I found out a way to go around the system and make the final three internships as independent studies. So. Throughout this, you know, you've got all these internships. What's your goal here? What are you shooting for? What's the dream? Relationships. So to build into one relationship, to meet somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody. Because that's what this industry is about, right? You, you gain the experience, but by gaining the experience, you're building the relationships so somebody trusts you for a job. What I did was I was working full-time as a, a producer at WIP or maybe like getting 30, 35 hours. I was still working at Champs to pay for my rent. And I was still writing um, for the USA Today had like me covering all six schools in the, uh, in the city. So I, I was still like writing blurbs Damn. for their, you know, their Gannett news service. Right. Yeah. So I was doing all of these things, but at the same time I landed a gig at Ross productions. It was run by two temple guys that were doing these high school sports shows around the entire country. And they were 30 minute shows that were localized, sponsored by newspapers in every single market. So they had like, I think over a hundred markets and they would profile these high school players. And at the time, a year earlier was Kobe Bryant was the superstar in Lower Marion wow. for the Philadelphia High School Sports Show. So I got a gig where I was on Friday nights and Saturdays at the biggest game of the week. And then I put together, I had my own producer, editor, director, and camera guy where I was putting together these two-minute packages that were really, really slick, and they would air on Fox 29 on the pregame show, I mean, before the Eagles pregame show on Sundays. So we had a great yeah. viewership. What that was doing, Kevin, was the goal it was providing me was a tape, 
a clean, professional-looking tape. So when I was sending it out to you know, the 50 to 100 news stations when I graduated was a clean tape that had me on the set at Action News as during my internship and then me doing this high school sports show with all these graphics and stuff that looked really high-end to these small markets to say, this is what I would look like if I was working at your TV station. Wow. And in the end, that's the reason why I hustled nonstop. It was like, let me get to this job to get to this job to get to this job to meet people. Yeah. So tell me about that first job in Missouri. Oh, gosh, yeah. Right outside of school. Can you tell me about your first time on air professionally? So my first time I'm on the air, it's live now because I'm, I'm, I left the, the, the Philly gig. They thought I was crazy because I, I took a massive pay cut to make $15,000 to work in Kirksville, Missouri. Why? It wasn't helping me grow being on the air once a week on a 30-minute show that's taped. I need to make mistakes every single day to get better. I needed the reps. So I took this job, and I had some contacts, uh, a couple Temple people that had been out there uh, at this station. It's Market 199. And we're in the middle of nowhere, and it is super hot because it, it's summertime. They didn't have an AC inside this studio. They do this big intro to me on the set. The woman that's next to me is a legend in this market. She's been on the air for like 20, 25 years. They do this whole buildup. I'm 23 years old, this whole buildup in to introduce me. Now, mind you, you have a pedal which runs your prompter. And I had to get used to the pedal. It's like a gas pedal. But you haven't used it before. It, it, have you used it before? No, 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 no. I'm saying, but at this moment, you haven't never used, used it. Never used it. I was scared to death of this. So I had practiced like a couple times. But next to that pedal is a small little button. And if you hit that button, everything goes backwards. And <laughs> so, because like if you went too fast on the pedal, oh, and, but, yeah, so you're yeah. jockeying, but it's underneath the desk and your foot has to get used to it, right? I wear size 12s and it's clunky, this pedal, this button is small. So they do this whole intro to me and I turn to the camera and I press that pedal as they say, eh, from, you know, the Philadelphia area, this young man, you know, he's making his debut, Kevin Degani, and I, it's just, and I am sweating like Niagara Falls. It is so hot in the <laughs> studio, right? And it, like stuff is dripping off my nose and my face. And I turn the camera, I hit the pedal, and my big foot hits that small button. Everything goes backwards. Oh, no. You can't stop. <laughs> so you have to, what, what do you do? I had a three and a half minute sports cast that I ad libbed the entire time. <laughs> Your first time on air, first and you had to improv. Improv the entire time. And this phenomenal anchor, this poor woman, is underneath the desk trying to fix the pedal. So all of this is going on oh while my, my feet are, like, trying to figure – and I'm looking around, and I'm – and no one knows about my timing. No, you know, you're getting on the same page for the first time with a director – and uh, I walked off that set, and I was drenched. Like, like my shirt was drenched. My face was just brutally bad. And I walked off the set, and I said, this is my story. This you got a story. Is, I got a story the first <laughs> time I was on the air. And if I could survive that, I could survive anything. So your next gig was in Sarasota, Florida. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm at 24, 25 now, 13 months in um, Kirksville, Missouri, and now – I go to Sarasota. I, I still have the dream of Sports Center, but my, my dream also has kind of twist, you know, switched a little bit too. I also looked at the option of getting back to Philly. 
I, I want to get oh. to uh, Comcast because Comcast was starting to blow up at that time. Right. Uh, this is like 1999, and they, they had all these Comcast sports nets, and, and Philly was the first one. And I wanted to get back to Channel 6 Action News. I, I wanted to work with my mentor, Gary Papa. But he took the job in Sarasota and stayed there for three years because— Even though Sarasota was technically a smaller market, the Tampa area was actually a huge national sports hotbed in the early 2000s. The Buccaneers won the Super Bowl, Miami had the best college football team in the country, the Yankees were there for spring training, and more. Kevin was in a smaller pond, but covering and interviewing some of the biggest fish in the country. It was great, and he worked hard. Maybe too hard. After three years in Sarasota, Kevin's contract was up, and he made a pretty surprising decision. He left broadcasting. I had to deal with some personal things in the Philadelphia area with my family, and you know that took the priority. So to the dismay of my family and all my friends, I, I just said, I'm leaving. I, I think I'm done. I had kind of reached a point of burnout, too. I, I, I give advice to a lot of young broadcasters that make sure you have a hobby, make sure you have outlets. Uh, I burned out because I didn't really have a hobby. Was it burning out on sports? Burning out on the grind because you're just grinding. And if you don't have that outlet, it's tough. So I didn't have like a specific outlet. As a result, by 27, 28, I I was like, I need a break. And there was a couple things uh, that I had to take care of in, in the Philly region. So I left. And my parents were really upset with me. And I I went to work for my dad and uh, live with my mom. So I did that for six months. And then the cool thing is leaving the business, you don't get the chance to do a lot of travel. So I got to go um, out of the business. Now, the cool thing for me was I went to India for a month with my dad. And I kind of saw India through his eyes. I would never get that back. And then I came back and I was like, all right, uh, I had this aspiration to starting my own business, my own entertainment company. So I started my own entertainment company, but I had to make money. And when you're starting a company, you're not going to make money at least the first two, three years, especially in I'm media. Aware. Yeah, right? <laughs> I'm acutely aware right now. <laughs> exactly. So I had to grind to say, all right, how am I going to fund this, this ridiculous dream that, I'm, uh, that I have? So I yeah. got into pharmaceutical sales. One of my buddies who got me into TV, he got out of TV and he was our pharmaceutical sales rep and he was like, you need to do this. He's like, you're a people person, you'll make decent money and you know the industry in the sense because your medical background and it worked out. Like I was living in Princeton, I had all of central Jersey and eastern Pennsylvania, that was my region and I was selling drugs professionally. You're selling drugs <laughs> You know, it, it worked out. So, I, like, I had my own place in Princeton, my own uh, media company, which uh, we had these big dreams of what we were going to do for Indian Americans. And we started this, me and my brother, and things were going well. And then about six months in, I got a call from my old news director. She was just like, hey, just want to tell you, if you're back in Sarasota anytime soon, just just give me a buzz. And I was like, why? What, what's, what's the deal? And I was actually dating somebody that was still in Sarasota. So I, I would go down there and visit. And she's just like, we've changed the, the sports department and we want you to come back. And we actually want to promote you. If you want to come back in the TV, we want to give you the entire sports department. You would run it. You'll be the sports director and uh, just give us a buzz. And I just said, well, it so happens I'm going to be down there to see my girlfriend next week. Yeah. Can we have lunch? And she's like, yeah, call my mom, call my dad. And I just said, hey, there's an opportunity where I've had a year. Things have settled down here personally. I want to 
kind of want to kick the tires. And before I could even ask them, they're like, you better go down. You better wow. get back in the TV. Everything's yeah. fine. Just go back. Now, is that how you felt? Like, was it that quick for you? Or, I mean, because you had this burgeoning company, but you were ready to go. You were ready to go. Yeah, so I had this dream that I could still carry the company and run the company. So I um, I went down to Sarasota. The interview was like, that wasn't even an interview. It was a lunch. And they said, this is what we want. What do you want? We'll give it to you. Tell us how much you want to get paid. We'll find a way. Tell us what power you want. You got it. Just come back. I was like, this is gold. Again, my girlfriend at the time lived there. So it, it everything just lined up perfectly. Perfect scenario at that point. I had a long talk with my brother and I just said, I, I've got to now rededicate myself into this. There's no way I could uh, hold my end of the bargain with this company. And I was like, I sold the company to my brother for a dollar. Nice. Uh, <laughs> Solid return uh, for a year. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, and then I went back and honestly, like at that time, like it, it was great. And then wow. I was in, uh, I was in Sarasota for two years and I, I was happy. And then, uh, I ran into somebody, Kevin, by this time, the hockey world was in a lockout and Gary Thorne, the, the great hockey announcer yeah. lived in Sarasota. And I invited him to come in the studio as a guest uh, to interview, you know, what's the situation, you know, the local flavor now, and you now we don't have hockey. And his, um, his wife came, and his wife is in the, in the industry, and she's a talent coach. And the first thing she did was she pulled me aside. She's like, why are you here? And I said, what do you mean? She's like, you should be in some big market. You should be doing something much bigger. You should be at like one of the cable stations, the regionals, or you should be at ESPN. And I was like, wow, thanks for telling me. I appreciate that. But I think I like it here. I'm five minutes from the beach. So by this time, Kevin, like my, my dream had modified and it was like, okay, if I want to go back to Philly, maybe I can go back to Philly. But right now I'm, I'm happy here. Let's see what happens. Right. She said, I, I got an agent that I want you to talk to. And I was like, eh, let me see. Eight months later, I called her up and I said, I had broken up with that girl that I was dating. And I said, let me just, what do I got to lose? Yeah. Called the agent up. He's in New York. I asked the agent, why are you interested in me? He goes, I watched your tape for 10 seconds. You got it. Just let's do this. Because I had, had an agent before and I was like, I'm not crazy about agents. He's like, let's just do this, Kevin. Yeah. Let's do a handshake agreement on the phone. Give me six months. If I get you a job, I get you a job. If I don't get you a job at a regional or somewhere big network wise, we move on. You've got yeah. nothing to lose. Right. Because worst case, you still have the, the, the comfortable life that you have down in Sarah. I'm 30 years old. A month later, he calls me up and he goes, uh, you ready to go up to Bristol? And I was like, what? He's like, I got you a tryout. I said, okay. He goes, somebody's going to call you. They're going to give you all the details. You're competing against six other people. And then they basically give me the whole rundown of what I got to do. So they call me up. ESPN calls me up. And it was like first week of July, 2006. And they just say, hey, listen, this is the date. Can you fly up there? And I had signed a five-year contract at my job. And I was like, oh, man, I'm two years into it. And I'm like, okay, oh, wow. so we'll figure this out later. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I go up there and I remember everything about it. It was a July 22nd, 2006. They want you to watch the night, the 11 p.m. Sports Center. And they have a, uh, a car pick you up. They take you to, the, uh, to ESPN. You meet a producer you've never met before, and it's eight in the morning, and they say, "All right, well, write the show." So I got to write a ten-minute show with this producer. I have till ten o'clock to finish writing. It features highlights on camera, all this stuff. Then at ten o'clock, you're on this set. 
and you do a show. You do a 10-minute show. All wow. your your all your words, uh, they, they have already pre-produced VOs or highlights, and they give you shot sheets that have highlights. Wow. And uh, my philosophy was it's ESPN's dime. If I don't get the gig, it's a bucket list thing that ESPN on their own money invited invited me and considered me. Yeah. So I've, I've got nothing to lose. All I want to do is nail this, right? I walked out off that set and I was like, if somebody's better than me, man, then they're pretty good because this is the best stuff I could give them. That you put your best foot forward in that audition. Exactly. So I was kind of at peace, Kevin. And then I, you, you have six 30-minute interviews with all these executives. Good God. And all of them six. have a bunch of Emmys on their shelves and you're walking in and you got a background of who they are. I like looked up each one. Yeah. Uh, I did some research, so I had some information. But you're just sitting there and you're like, oh, man, like this is pretty intimidating. <laughs> and, and the questions you're getting from each one is complete, like so different from each executive they're feeling you out some are asking you really right. detailed sports questions other are asking you know what do you like to do what's your philosophy others are saying hey i just watched your audition tape tell me how you approach things you know like you're getting different there's nothing like rehearsed here everything is personality driven from every executive and then you go home and then you just sit there and wonder for how long do you have to wonder i had to wonder for three weeks and I remember, I literally remember getting the phone call. I was covering a high school sports team. It was super hot. It was like five o'clock in August in the middle of Ooh. summer in Florida where you're just drenched. And my agent says, you got a second? And I walk away from everybody. And he's like, you got the gig. You're going to Bristol. And what goes through your mind at that moment? I was dating, um, who's now my wife, I was dating a reporter at the time. And she... She was the only one that knew, aside from my brother and my best friend. Only one that knew that you had auditioned? Yeah. I, I, it was completely like- Keep it tight. Completely tight. Because I didn't want to set anything up. Yeah. And I remember getting back to the TV station, and you're just like busting. And, and I uh, called my girlfriend because she had to do a, a news hit that, that night. And then at 6.30 after the sportscast or after the news, I go home to my condo, and she meets me, and we just- it was phenomenal. It, it was like, but Kevin, it was two things though. It was like amazing. I can't believe we got this. And then, and then their response was, oh, "We need you ASAP." So they called me in um, in the middle of August and said, "We need you. Your start date needs to be in two weeks." And I was like, "Whoa, whoa! whoa I, I've got to give my two weeks." And they're like, "You need to figure it out." So we had wow. kind of figured out a specific date, and it was like September 11th, coincidentally, on right. 2006. And that night, Kevin. I was like, what am I going to do? Because I still have three years left on this contract. Like, yeah. what am, what am, how am I going to get out of this? And I didn't know what to do. So I, I did the, the, the sportscast that night. I woke up the next day. I went into work, and I saw my news director, Kay. And I just said, can you uh, talk to me for a few minutes? We shut the door, and I told her. And her jaw just dropped. And she was like, what? Yeah. And I said, yeah, I got a job at ESPN. And I got three years left on my deal, but I'm going. Yeah, and she was just like, "Uh, you you are going," <laughs> and then she was like, "But let me talk to the general manager." And she went down the hall and brought the general manager in. The general manager was like, uh, "He was stunned." He was like, "We will, we never let anybody break their contract." And he's like, "I can't believe you just got a job at ESPN." And he just shook my hand. And he was like, "You can go." Wow. That must have been so great to have that support from them. Oh, yeah. Because they could have made that hell. They could have made it hell. And later on, I I heard stories um, that they didn't make it easy on other people. I kind of set a precedent. Yeah. But their excuse was, he's going network, 
He's not going right. to a local, another local station. Yeah. So I think everybody was just shocked by it all. And they were like, we, we don't want this on our conscience that we're going to stop a dude from going to ESPN. So he was on his way to Bristol, Connecticut, ever closer to his dream of becoming the first Indian American ever to be the anchor of SportsCenter. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Philly Who with Kevin Nagandi. So Kevin Nagandi had just gotten hired at ESPN, the biggest sports media name in the country. After several years reporting sports in Sarasota, Florida, he was headed up to Bristol, Connecticut, where ESPN is headquartered. Now, he still hasn't accomplished his dream yet. Really, the journey had only just begun. He was hired to be an anchor on ESPN News, which was a separate channel that, at the time, ran sports highlights all day long. The contract was for four years, but with ESPN having an option halfway through. So you have two years to basically show them that you deserve those second, those final two years to be picked up. Yeah. So it was on news. There was no promise or guarantee I was going to do anything. So I grinded, man. I, I, I grinded for the first year and a half where I was just like, I'm taking every opportunity. I am not taking vacation time. I'm working every holiday because that's where I'm going to get the chance, right? Yeah. Uh, Where people are going to be away. And within 14 or 16 months on the gig, they had already picked up my option for the final two years. And I was doing a variety of stuff. I made myself available to do like college football live, outside the lines, baseball tonight, like every single thing. So it would help me while still doing my ESPN news responsibilities. Yeah. The most important thing to me was be available. Right. And if you're available, then opportunity will find you. At ESPN, they tell you not to look at your schedule, but you, you look at your schedule. What, what do you mean by that? So you don't know what you're doing um, on a monthly basis. You get your, your schedule and that's how you find out, hey, what shows you're going to do in a month in advance. Oh, wow. Okay. They'd say, hey, the May schedule's coming out and this is when you're in uh, March and then you open up the May schedule and you're like, am I on SportsCenter? Am I on SportsCenter? Is there, oh, this is a news thing. They want me to do this. You want me to do that. So I just remember getting a phone call saying, hey, listen, somebody on the 11 o'clock show uh, will not be able to work. We're bumping up the one o'clock anchor to do the 11. Can you go fill in and do the, the 1 a.m. close with Robert Flores? And Kevin, Robert Flores and I had worked uh, a lot together on news. And I was like, yes, absolutely. Because to me, it was like, great, I can work with Flores. Somebody I know, somebody who, who knows. Roflo was like the guy in front of us where it was like he did like three news sportscasts during the week. But then he had two sports centers. So he knew like he'd come back down, go back up, come back down, go back up. You know, so it was like, all right. So he understands, you know, the, the situation that I'm in. And I remember that night, it was the same attitude I had for the tryout, was just, hey, just nail it. Yeah. And Roflo said to me, he goes, hey, man, let's just do, let's just do it like we do on news every single time. And I, that's all I needed to hear. And uh, I remember I nailed, I nailed it. I did pretty good. I, not great, but I remember doing really well on that sportscast, right? The coolest thing was the next day, Finding out that they added two more sports centers to my schedule the next Oof. week. Because that, that to me was like, that was, no, I got no feedback. The right. feedback was, hey, we want you back. You can you're, you're you doing can it do again. It. And then wow. you notice that, okay, there's two more. There's two more. There's two, oh, there's four more. Now you're in like a rotation. And then within months, I'm looking around and I'm, I'm in the 11 p.m. rotation with, you know, Anderson, Levy, Van Pelt, Stuart Scott, 
and you know the Stan Barretts, Butcher Gras. So if those guys are not around, I'm with them. I'm I'm, but I'm still doing other things. But I'm in this rotation. I'm getting the call up all the time. And then uh, that led to the morning show, the opportunity on the morning show where whenever Hannah or Josh, Hannah Storm or Josh Elliott were out, I was available. So I, there were certain times where I was doing the 11 p.m. Sports Center close on Sunday night, which is a big show, was a big show back in the day. And then they would ask me, hey, can you do the 9 a.m.? And I was like, wait a second, do you guys understand what that situation is like? I'm, do you even go home no, at that point? <laughs> but they realized that they, the schedules were not synced up. So then they'd say, can you do the noon? I'm like, I'll do whatever you want. Yeah. So I was I was on no sleep. We had no kids. I could I, I could just be available. Yeah. And that's what I did. And then uh, you know I got in the rotation of doing a lot of the mornings. And then when when Josh Elliott left for GMA, I was one of the anchors up for consideration. Uh, they gave me the opportunity, and then it was five years of me and Hannah Storm on, on the morning show at nine a.m. Right. You mentioned how your first sort of go around in sports broadcasting, you got burnt out. Did you have a hobby this time around? Because this sounds even more intense. Or was it just like... Yeah, I, I found certain things where working out, I was playing a little more golf. I was traveling. I, I was making sure that I was mixing things up. Yeah. Because you, you will you will burn out. Uh, when we had kids, it was really uh, a juggle, especially with my schedule doing the morning shows. You're not getting a lot of sleep. So th- those first few years of the morning sports center with kids and babies right. uh, my wife still was still working and she still do, does now and we're trying to figure out what works for our schedules now it's gotten easier kevin like now yeah. i'm noticing you know I, my kids are now eight and six and three but my eight and six year old want to they want to play sports with me so i i can have my little moments of breaks where i'm playing basketball with them or throwing a baseball or teaching them how to play golf or you know let's let's go outside and you know have a football catch those are good outlets one thing i've always wondered is you know on the times that you're off like is there pressure to keep up with everything in this everything in the sporting world because you have to know everything that has happened since the last time you were there so how do you manage that my wife will make comments about you, why are you looking at your phone again and i'm like i'm i'm actually doing my job i'm looking at twitter working. Yeah. and seeing if i'm missing anything on vacation i'm guilty of it i remember we went back to india in uh, me and my wife before we had kids and i think it was it was the year the Flyers were in the Stanley Cup finals with the Blackhawks. And it wasn't scheduled that way where we were going to be in India. And they had that run. And I remember at the hotel, uh, you know, when, whenever we were stopped certain places, I would find the, the computer and I'd find a way to log in to get on ESPN to see, all right, what, what am I missing in the sports world? Okay, what happened in the <laughs> – did the Flyers yeah. win last night? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, that's how yeah. I was processing uh, certain things. So – your phone's always with you. You're always checking in and making sure that uh, you're not missing anything. Because if you if you miss a little bit of that nuance, it, it hurts you in conversations down the road. Now, you have achieved the pinnacle, essentially, of sports broadcasting, right? So I got to imagine every kid growing up that wants to be a sportscaster says, I want to be on SportsCenter. Did you ever have a moment where you kind of looked around and had to pinch yourself and thought, what? What I really get is is when I have family or friends that come up and and they walk around campus with me and then 
you're showing them everything and then you see it through their eyes again and you're like, wow, yeah, this is pretty cool. You know, yeah. <laughs> because you get numb to your surroundings. It's and, just the day to day. And it's important that you get numb to it because it does wear off because then you're there for a job, right? So there are moments where I'll look around and be like, yeah, this is pretty amazing. Outside of that, like there were a couple times on the set that I had moments where you're like, yeah, this is pretty cool. There were a couple moments like um, like the night of the Philadelphia draft back in 2017. I'm on the set with Wingo and those guys, but they're, they're on the air. I just hung out. I did SportsCenter earlier that day, and I was just like, I, I want this vibe. You've got to be here. And I remember turning to the crowd and seeing everybody on the parkway and – couple people saying my name and stuff and and everybody's just into it and all you see is just the sea of people you can't see anything else and those are the moments you're like yeah this is this is pretty amazing uh when i had the chance to host the uh the parade for espn uh when the eagles won the super bowl and you turn around and you look at everything and you're like this is what i dreamed about as a five-year-old kid this is what i dreamed about when i was that 14 year old that thought about becoming a sportscaster right and i get to, to host the parade on espn yeah. an eagles parade yeah uh, that was an emotional day where were you when they when they won it where did you watch the, I was game? At the game you were at the game one of the craziest stories of my life so I was at the NFC Championship game, and I watched the game with Eric Lindros and Jake Tapper <laughs> at, inside the stadium, which was, which was wild. So and, cool. and we had a lot of fun. And after the game, my wife's like, you got to go to the Super Bowl. And I had made a vow that I wasn't going to go to another Eagles. I was at Super Bowl 39 when they lost to the, the Patriots in Jacksonville. And I walked out of there saying, I'm not doing this again. I'm not experiencing this again. I said to her, I was like, There's, I'm not going. I'm, I, I this is what I believe in. Like, this is what I, I said I would do. I'm not going to another Eagles Super Bowl because only the, once. Shame on me. The, <laughs> shame on you. <laughs> yeah, they, exactly. The pain was too much, right? Yeah. So that week, uh, I was scheduled to work Sports Center that morning, the Sunday of this of the Super Bowl, and I had four people reach out to me that week and say, "I got your tickets. Don't worry." <laughs> you didn't even ask for them. <laughs> and then when my wife was convincing me to do this. I slowly went back to the four people and each of them said, sorry, man, I had to sell them, had to sell them, had to sell them. And I was like telling each one that, why did you even ask me? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I told my wife, I was like, listen, it's, it's not in the cards. This is like, I, I, the gods are telling me I'm not going to do this. One very good friend calls me up. He goes, I got you. Don't worry about it. Don't think twice. And I was like, come on. He's like, I got two tickets. Don't even think twice. He's like, just find a way to get here. And that was the next challenge, right? So uh, it was a Sunday morning. I remember going to my boss saying, listen, I, I, I want to go to this game. And, and he's like, I wish I knew. He's like, I need you on SportsCenter that morning. He's like, you and Hannah are doing the show. I need you on SportsCenter that morning. I told my wife, I was like, listen, I, I, he's right. So she was like, Let's find a way. Let's let's. I, I've heard about charter planes, and I'm like, yeah. I'm not spending six thousand dollars. You know, <laughs> like we looked at so many scenarios. We found a flight that was leaving LaGuardia at like twelve thirty, that would connect in Detroit, that would get me into Minnesota or Minneapolis by four forty-five local time. Kickoff was five fifteen. Okay. So we were, I was like positioning all this stuff. And I went to my bosses and I said, listen, I got to get to LaGuardia. 
how can, can you help me? I will do the show, but can you help me so I can get a head start and I could, and they were like, they were like, yeah. So we, 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 we talked to the producer, Hannah was aware of it. And we just basically talked about this concept that, Hey guys, I, I'm going to leave. Don't be surprised in, in the final hour of sports center, because I have to go catch a flight. I have to, I have to get a car service, go to LaGuardia, catch this flight. Because I didn't. There's I, so many legs of this yeah, exactly. that can't go wrong. Yeah, and, 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 and <laughs> I can't have a car, right? And I got to go straight to the game. So I got a hotel room, and one of my college buddies, a Temple guy, I mailed him the ticket, and I said, You go get the hotel, like, get us in the hotel, get everything squared away, but then I will meet you at the game. And he was squared away. Everything was. I said, but do me a favor, make sure you have a drink for me the minute I sit down. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, got it. I said, I don't know when I'm coming, just make sure you have the drink. <laughs> it's on my, you know, Facebook page as well as a Twitter accounts where I literally leave in, in, in the middle of the Sports Center show. I have an Eagle shirt underneath yes, and yes. I break out and bust out. And Hannah was so good and the producers were great. Car waiting. I tell the guy, get me to LaGuardia as fast as possible. I will take care of you. Yeah. Guy was like, that's all you need. Uh, say Sold. no more. <laughs> he, he, he does it in like record time. And to the point where I get to LaGuardia and I'm like, and I'm like, oh my God, this is lining up. I can actually have lunch. <laughs> I grab lunch and I'm sitting there. Now the key is this, getting into Detroit and then, you know, switching out. We land in the Detroit. I run, I literally run to the gate. And the plane is there. So I'm like, oh, my God, the plane is there. But it's snowing in Detroit. Oh so I, like, I'm not, I don't have to worry about the plane coming in. I'm there, right? Mm. So I get there. And I said, is everything on time? And I'll never forget the gate guy. He goes, you see the plane, right? I'm like, yeah, I see the plane. But are we taking off on time? He's like, we're good. I'm like, all right. We get on the plane. You ready for this? They put us to the side. And they say they have to de-ice the plane. And they have oh. to de-ice four planes in front of us. So I am now, I'm in the corner on this flight, balling up like in the corner because I'm like, oh my God. This is the last leg. I've gotten this far, right? So after waiting 45 minutes on the tarmac, we take off. We land in Minnesota. And now by this time, a couple people on the plane have, have figured out that I'm trying to get to the Super Bowl, right? I get off the plane. And remember, I, I the way I timed it was 30 minutes before kickoff right was when you'd land yes i'm landing and i'm running through the airport and all the bars are quiet no one's in the airport they're all playing the national anthem and i'm like oh my god oh my god oh my god and i, I got literally one bag uh again because i had to change out of a suit i put everything in the bag switched out and uh i, I run to the spot to get an uber and I'm just thinking of scenarios. I'm like, all right, I, I'm looking at how long is it going to take, the, you know, all that's traffic and all this. So this, this sweet woman picks me up in a Dodge Caravan, and she has the sweetest accent. She's like yep. in her 60s. Yeah. And I, I, I just get in there, and I'm just like, listen, I'm, just get me to U.S. Bank Stadium. I will give you the greatest tip of your life. <laughs> She's like, okay. And Kevin, here we go, right? 
We are driving 50 miles now, an how hour. Far is it? Uh, it was like 25 minutes away, but we're driving 50 miles an hour on the t- on this highway, and cars yeah. are passing us. And I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. And at this point, everybody knows that who are friends of mine. Like, I, I'm doing this crazy trip, and they're like, "Give us an update. Give us an update." And then some of my buddies are like, "We need we need the update on social media." So people are following me on social media, and ESPN Social was just like, "Continue to give us these updates. This is great because people are oh following." Your journey. Right, this is content. From Sports Center that morning, they want <laughs> yeah. to know if you made it. And I am freaking out. Now I'm getting like updates from my cousins and my buddies on the game, three nothing Eagles, you know, and all that. And I'm like, oh my God. So the cool thing about this woman, though, she knew all the back roads because security's crazy around there, right? She knew every single back road in the city to get me literally right up to the stop to get out to get into security. Wow. So while she was going slow, she cut so much time. She didn't hit all the, the roads that I think normal people would hit. Right, right. I, I took care of her and I was like, You have she had no idea. I was like, You have no idea what you just did. Thank you. <laughs> so I run in and go through security and literally uh, I get to my seat and this big roar and LaGarrett Blunt had a nice run. And literally my buddy gives me the drink. It was sitting right there. He had he, he made it a double. Yeah. And we sit down, and then within three plays, uh, Alshon catches the first touchdown. And I say to my buddy, I'm like, this is destiny. Like, everything is working out perfectly. Because, you know, at that point, it was just like, all right, now the Eagles are on the board with a touchdown. Right. And the game was amazing, Kevin. And after the game, I get another text from the guy that, that took care of me with the tickets. And he goes, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm crying. <laughs> He's like, he goes, <laughs> Uh, meet us here. Come here. Uh, you're good. And I'm like, what? He's like, just just meet us here. Just do it. <laughs> and we uh, partied the rest of the night with the Eagles players. And uh, I had to catch a flight the next day at 7 a.m. We get back to the hotel at 4. I get in the hotel room. I sleep, not kidding, 10 minutes. No way. Get up and tell my buddy I'll see you, man. And this is great. And I go catch a flight to Rhode Island. And then I Uber two hours back from Rhode Island <laughs> to Connecticut, and I sleep the rest of the way. And then my boy comes off the bus, my oldest, and we celebrated. And then I, I, two days later, I went and hosted the parade. But the Eagles won as a Philadelphia fan, and the experience of, you know, I'm hosting Sports Center that morning and then watching a Super Bowl that night, yeah. and, and it's a wow. win. My God. I don't think you could touch that. Wow. For a different project, I had a long conversation uh, earlier this year with Dan Shaughnessy from the Boston Globe, and it was really fascinating because he he almost lamented the advent because he's he's old school. He started, uh, my gosh, I think sixties or seventies in journal in sports journalism, and he talked at length and almost lamented the advent of the the fan journalist. And as somebody who you know. I personally think that it's great to, to get because I think it's kind of impossible to be truly objective, right? Because you, you always have your biases, you have your worry from. And these days, you know, folks like yourself are known for being fans of where they're from, of a certain area. What is your take on that? Were you were you sort of raised in journalism to be objective and not show your fandom? Like, I've always wondered how that worked. So there's a fine line, and it's a very good question. I, I was raised to be objective at, at all times. I think... You've seen the evolution of the sportscaster 
especially, you know, at ESPN with the influence of Stewart. Stewart Scott was a very proud Tar Heel fan. And I identified with that. And I've come back to this this philosophy that I got into this business because I was a diehard sports fan. And whenever anybody tells me I'm a homer on the air, I tell them two specific stories. One of them is in 2009 when the Eagles were in the NFC Championship game. I was on the air at the time. And I was on the air with uh, Trent Dilfer and Merrill Hodge. We were doing SportsCenter. And the game's played on the big screen. And we were going to have SportsCenter live right after the game anyway. So we're doing SportsCenter while the game's going on. I walked on the set and they had the lead, the Eagles. And then the defense fell apart in the final seven minutes against Kurt Warner and that Arizona offense. We go on the air, coming out of commercial break, after they lost, we go back on the air, and it was 45 minutes of me, Trent, and Merrill breaking down that game. And I tell everybody that I was so hard on the Eagles that day, and the reason why it was helpful that I was a fan is because I knew all the problems with that team, and I didn't hold back. And I felt like I was very objective. I felt like at that point, this is not sugarcoating how they looked. I'm more critical about Philadelphia teams because I'm aware of everything about yeah, them. You're next. And then I tell people that that you're not going to get a better conversation than having somebody that is involved, having somebody that is fully aware, that having somebody that is passionate about this. You're not going to get better questions. You're not like. Trent and Merrill were, were great. They understood yeah. that it, like where I was going because that day the Eagles needed to be blasted, mm-hmm. right, yeah. on how they lost that game. And I wasn't going to hold back. So if somebody's going to tell me I was a fan, some people I think believe that the fan's going to go easy. No, I think the fan with the background of following a specific team, you are going to be more specific and you're going to hold them more accountable, right? Yeah. And then if I hear back from Cowboys fans or or Giants fans, oh you're not, you know, you're an Eagles biased Eagles fan. I'm like, "No, I actually know know more about your teams because I follow these teams religiously. Right. I'm passionate about it. I don't care for the people or Philly fans that come at me and say, "Why are you criticizing our team? You should support them at all times." And I always tell them, "I will support them when they deserve it on the air, but at the same time, they also need to be called out." I love that. And I will call them out when they have to be. I mean, during the process years with the Sixers, I had a hard time. I remember we got Brett Brown on the air, and Brett and I went back and forth, and I was trying to understand the process. What? Why? Mm. And even the struggles that they went through last year against the Raptors, like yeah. no one's going to be a bigger Joel Embiid fan, but if they're not showing up and playing well, then they deserve to be called out. So I, I look at it that way, and and I think Stewart gave us the – the leeway to do that. And you're seeing, you see that with Linda Cohn and the Mets and her Rangers fandom and the Giants fandom. You've seen that with Van Pell with how much he likes the Maryland Terrapins, and, but also he supports all the Washington teams. But we are more critical of those teams. So we're actually, I think, doing a service to the viewer by saying this is not right because we understand because we're involved in it. Yeah. So that that's how I, I, I would view my role because I'm still objective – but at the same time, it comes with a certain twist with it. Right. 
I think it, it, the, the lines get a little blurred when sometimes it's always like our team can do no wrong. I, I don't believe in that. I, I definitely don't believe in that. And it's not fair to the viewer that's listening to me if I have that approach at all times. But I think it's important that we could be excited about something, right? Like, right, of course. I, I think the fan relates to that. They understand that. They don't want to see a robot. Now, if I'm doing like a, a real feature piece on something, that's a completely different thing. Like if I'm doing a breakdown on something that – Let's just uh, hypothetically say that's um, like Adubal Herrera, something that happened to him last year. I, I'm not sugarcoating that. I, I'm reporting the news and I'm being objective of that he got arrested and he got involved in a domestic abuse situation with allegations of domestic abuse. We will hit that hard. There's nothing soft about that. So I've always said that if you call me out on, on being soft, then, you're, then you're, not, you're not actually following what I do. Yeah, I never thought of it that way. If anything, it's better journalism because you're more of an expert than anybody else on that particular team. So, so you'd be able to report. Not everybody does that. Like, I think sometimes people disguise it, but hey, uh, I'm doing what everybody else is doing. No, no. You, everybody needs to make sure that they are, they're also following the lines that make sense. You know, it's like Stephen A. Stephen A loves the Knicks. If I hear anything about the Knicks, I actually want to hear Stephen A's opinion because what I'm going to get is I'm going to get his passion. And he's not going to hold back, and he's also going to give me some information. And I think that's important for people to understand that. And his fun with the Cowboys, that, that's just, just fun. Darren Woodson, we would have him always on the air, and Darren's actually a, a, a good buddy of mine. And he's a Cowboy fan. We have a good back and forth. I think it enhanced the broadcast, right? For sure. That's how I yeah, view it. It's way better. So I have a couple questions I, have, I ask every guest just to get different perspectives. Uh, first off, what would you say is a common misconception about you? I'm pretty professional. I think people sometimes get taken aback when they're around me, and I've got a pretty, uh, I got a pretty blue mouth. I don't <laughs> hold back, uh, and there's a lot of Philly that comes out. Uh, yep. But at the same time, when I'm on the air, I'm on the air. I've got a job to do. I'm not going to be over the top. I'm going to stay true to the national audience that's watching me. But at the same time. If you're with me and I trust you, you'll see, you'll sometimes see a different side. I, I think that some people are taken aback by that when I could just be myself and they don't see the sports center anchor anymore. No. They see, you know, the, the guy just hanging watching the Eagles. No, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, 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 and cussing a lot. All right. If you could send a message to yourself in the past, butterfly effect aside, at what point in time would you send it? And what would you say? Be kind to yourself and find a hobby. Like, do something outside of being obsessed with TV and how do you get, get to back to Philadelphia or how do you get to ESPN? Like you'll find your way, but understand that this journey will not make sense. But when you uh, walk out and walk away and look back, it'll make complete sense of why you went through everything. The advice that was given to me by uh, Jerry Madelon at, at ESPN years ago was be kind to yourself is really important because uh, all of us who are type A personalities push, 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 push. There has to be a moment where you got to say, hey, man, it's okay, man. Be kind to yourself. Yeah. In the sporting world, what do you think is the biggest challenge facing Philadelphia today? Management. When you look at where we are and where we were, we, there were some dark ages, right, in the middle part of the last decade, and we we found a way to build these teams with, with a lot of young talent, and I think a lot of these guys in management, I think that they, they got foolish, and then they got a little too antsy and impatient, and as a result... Uh, After years of patience. Exactly, <laughs> and as a result, like we have good teams, 
when we look across the board, I think we should have great teams. Yeah. You know, especially when you look at teams like, let's just say, like the Astros that stunk and that they built up, they found a way to build up, right? Or, you know, you could take a look at how the Phillies have been, they, they stunk, but then they built up and then they, I think they, they missed on a couple of picks and they made some bad moves and then they say, we don't have any more money. Well, you got Bryce Harper. You find a way to, 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 to generate more do money. It now. Yeah. Get over the top, right? Yeah. I think it, you look at the Sixers. The Sixers had a, a bunch of talent and they still have talent, but then they got impatient. And then they wasted a few picks and then made a couple trades where you're like, uh, are you making the trade because it's going to help the team now without understanding that what's going to help the team the next the three future. to five years? That's, that's the one thing that's plaguing Philadelphia sports right now. We are, we are good, but we're not great with all four teams. On the flip side, what excites you most about Philly sports right now? That we are good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, seriously, like, I mean, let's look back. All that said. Like, like, 20, like 2012, 2013, yeah, yeah, yeah. 2014, 2015. My goodness. I mean, they were, it was the dark ages. There, yeah, there was some, it was a tough time. There was some bad, bad sports in this city. And um, I just think that we need a, the Joel Embiid's, the Bryce Harper's, the Carson Wentz's, the Claude Giroux's. We have a tendency to appreciate them when they're gone. And we've done that with uh, Mike Schmitz, the Charles Barkleys, the Allen Iversons, unaware that um, we should appreciate them while we have them. Finally, if you could get one message to every single Philadelphian, be it a, a text, a tweet, a plane in the sky, a billboard, whatever, one message that every Philadelphian could receive and ponder, hmm. what would you say? Don't worry, don't obsess how the national media and the public view you. Just be you. I think many times we are obsessed with, oh, well, well, they're going to bring up Santa Claus, or well, aren't you going to get mad at what's going on with the fans in L.A. and Oakland and what they're doing? And I'm like, stop worrying about them. I've always said that. There's a charm, there's a passion that we have, and I could care less how, how the national public views Philadelphia. When people go with the narrative of about the booing and all that, I'm like, we boo because we care. We boo because we love. And that's who we are. And embrace who we are instead of trying to fight a narrative because we're never going to win that narrative. So I would tell them, stop fighting the national public persona. Just embrace who we are. We are passionate people. And some people just don't understand or don't want to understand. They want to be lazy. If you like the show, let us know. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at PodPhillyWho. Here's a shout out to this episode's featured patron, Chris Sarah. Chris is the CEO of ArcWeb Technologies, a co-founder of Philly Startup Leaders, and is on the boards of PA Harm Reduction, Leadership Philadelphia, Committee of 70, and CEO Works Philadelphia. He does a lot, including supporting Philly Who. If you'd like to join Chris in supporting the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash phillywho. Philly Who is a Q9 production. This episode was produced, edited, mixed, and hosted by me, with editing and mixing by Max Graham, music by Lee Rosevere, artwork by Lauren Labick, and a special thanks to Fran Dunphy. For Philly Who, I'm Kevin Schmidlin. Till next time. <laughs>